welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... do the time warp again and again and again and again because for nearly 50 years the rocky horror picture show has been dominating midnight showings like no other movie before or since Uh, it is a unique miracle of its own and i'm very excited to be closing out our halloween coverage on this subject uh, at least Fingers crossed that the the strike is over and we can release this episode when we plan to at midnight, of course, the day before Halloween. And I'm hoping it's going to be part of a Tim Curry trifecta because after this, I'll be releasing the episode on Muppet Treasure Island that I've been holding in stasis pending the strike. And then we're banking on recording an episode on Clue. So we're going full Tim Curry for a few weeks. So really excited about that. But um, to help me talk all about Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, is a very old friend of mine, a dear friend, and uh, she is an actress, a writer, director, producer. You've seen her on Hulu's Difficult People, where she plays Lola. Uh, she's also a writer, director, and producer on the rebooted Quantum Leap on NBC, so she knows a whole lot about sci-fi. Ladies and gentlemen, Shakina Nafak. Hey! So happy to be here talking to you about Rocky Horror. I'm very excited because, I, you know, as we were just talking about off mic, I uh, this is my first time watching it all the way through. The only other time I saw it was at your house uh, when we must have been teenagers. And I think we watched like half of it. I don't th- I think there were other people there, too. It wasn't just me. Um, and it, I don't know if it was a party or something, but I feel like we only got through like half of it and we were all too damn tired. We couldn't go any further. We just passed. The yeah. And or- I think we were like 11 or 12. Honestly, right. I think we were really young. Probably right. Definitely something we watched way too young. But the funny thing is, like, this thing is so catchy. Like, when I went back to watch it this time, I was like, I know all of these songs. Even the ones that were in the movie, part of the movie we didn't get to. I feel like I knew them. Yeah. So, um, but let me start with you. Tell me about your nostalgic memories of this. Where did it start? And uh, and your, your love of this topic. Gosh, I think I saw Rocky Horror for the first time in fifth grade. I had heard about it, I think, because I was already a... a Tim Curry lover. I think I must have seen Clue or something. And I remember, I remember picking up this book called The Incredibly Strange Film Book. And it had a section on Rocky Horror. And 
I saw these pictures of Tim Curry in the lingerie and was just like, that's who I am. You know, I was like <laughs> before we had the language of transness, but I knew that I was queer in some way. And when I just saw him in those fishnets and uh, that lipstick and those crazy eyebrows, I was like, this is unreal. And this is what I want to do. So, uh, I remember, you know, it was just in the, in the, blockbuster video like in the horror movie section i think and just had that iconic red lips on the box cover and i knew what it was but i acted like i didn't and you know i remember asking my dad like oh can i rent this one and he was like sure whatever and then i waited till everyone was asleep and then i watched it and then i was like this is this is the dream and <laughs> yeah i i mean it was like i would watch it over and over again I saw it for the first time live with the stage cast when I was 15. And actually my dad like picked me up from the movies at like 2.30 in the morning. And I was like in the bathroom of the scuzzy Hillcrest movie theater in San Diego, like trying to wash the makeup off my face and throw away the fishnets and press on nails that I stole from the drugstore before the movie. And, you know, and I remember like being in the, in the sitting, I was sitting on the aisle with a friend of mine from Jewish camp and she had her license. Um, so, or no, maybe she didn't even have her license yet. So maybe we were both 15, but, uh, but I was sitting on the aisle seat and then the guy and the, the cast member playing Rocky was like running up and down the aisles in his gold speedos. And it was like the closest I'd ever been to like a man with like, his bulge bouncing around in some, you know, shimmery undies. And I was like, so ecstatic. <laughs> I was so ecstatic <laughs> that this was real, you know? Uh, but then I was also so terrified that I would like get in trouble. And I can only imagine when I got in the car after my dad was picking me up at two 30 and I definitely smelled like weed. And I definitely had like, you know, makeup, like you, you, you can only wash your face so well in like a scuzzy movie bathroom. So, uh, you know, I wasn't really fooling anyone, but yeah, it was formative for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, that's very much a thing as a parent that I can relate to, which is like, you think you're fooling your parents with all this shit. And it's like, no, they see right through you every oh, time. <laughs> I remember when I was just experimenting with makeup, uh, and like, I was probably also like in fifth grade or whatever. And I like snuck into my mom's makeup and put on mascara or whatever and then she came home from work and she's like you have something on your eyes and i was like what and then i went into the bathroom and looked and i just i just had like twiggy painted on i like eyelashes from like just blinking and not knowing how to put mascara on but i had like black streaks all down my cheeks and i i don't know how long i had them just sit around all afternoon and then my mom came home and was like hmm you know so <laughs> That rings very true, having known you all these years. <laughs> yes, so, of course. I wanted to ask you that because you brought this up. You know, the movie has become one of those like lighthouses, I think, for people who are anything other than cisgender heterosexual. Like, if you're anything other than like bog standard middle of the bell curve human, like, there's something about this movie that says, like, you know, come to us. You're, you That's know, you're right. home. You know? Yeah. Was that was it that way for you? Yeah, you know, the VHS tape had this, like, uh sort of trailer before the movie for the live experience. And it, like, you know, it was it was footage from 
back when these midnight showings were like all the rage in New York City and elsewhere. And it just showed all these people like dressed up in their versions, their cosplay, you know, tap dancing down the street, doing the time warp, throwing toast and putting newspaper over their heads. And when people like sprayed water on them and, and it had the tagline, don't dream it, be it. And that, which is from like the, you know, closing number of the, of the movie. But yeah, it just, it was a lighthouse. It was a beacon for, you know, the freaks and weirdos. And it was like a place, not only where, like, not only a movie that you could see yourself in if you were outside the norm, but also a real legitimate place you could go, like, every weekend to be with people who were expressing themselves in the ways that I wanted to express myself, you know? And uh, I don't even know how many times I saw it live, but I, I went a lot. I went in San Diego. I went in Orange County. I went in Los Angeles. Um, I just, you know, I took up, I, I convinced somehow when I was in like confirmation, I convinced my temple to like do a youth group trip to Rocky Horror in Long Beach and wow. then we all had like a sleepover in the sanctuary afterwards. It was wild. Um, but you know, yeah. Your temple was a lot cooler than mine. It, yeah. Well, y- you grew up conservative. I grew up reform <laughs> and therein lies the rub. <laughs> Still on the reform side. Though. We ate plenty of, uh, trafe. Uh, okay. That's, that's, uh, that's pork and shrimp and stuff for you, uh, Goyim out there. Um, and I do think there is something to be said about like Jewish camp and musicals like there is some oh. i don't know exactly what the no the there's a definite is, but... intersection between like jewish teenagers of the 90s and youth group culture and like sexual promiscuity and exploration and musical theater it was all rolled up into one totally i was on the outside of that sexual exploration but i knew it was happening without but like it, this movie really is kind of a minor miracle when you look at like it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's very weird. It is geared towards a niche audience to a degree. And so just as like a business proposition, it's hard to imagine how in like the early seventies, cause this came out in 75 after the original stage show from 73, like in that culture, in that time in the country, like to imagine that someone is going to write a check to make this movie at all, um, is mind blowing. And then the fact that it ever succeeded was really just a tribute to these midnight showings that allowed it to sort of survive. Plus the fact that there was this scene in fame where they all get yeah. to see it. And that like, let everybody else in the country know this thing. exists. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But you know, even before that, there were these midnight showings, but they were silent. Like people were going, but it didn't have the audience participation. And then I wish I could remember because I knew back way back when what the first line was that was yelled out. Um, I know it was, yeah, like a Salminio thing, but, but there was like this moment when the silence was broken and someone, you know, called Brad an asshole or something, yelled it out. And that was, that was the beginning. Like the floodgates were open. And then when I was in sixth grade, I bought the box set, the CD box set that had like, uh, songs from the vaults. There were songs that were cut from Rocky Horror. They had songs from like the Japanese production and other things. But there was also this album that you could probably still get that was called the Audience Participate Patient album. And it was a full recording of the entire movie on cassette or CD. And that's how I learned everything you were supposed to yell. 
and the and the 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 audience call and response was uh you know it was it, it was like an oral tradition uh, up to that point you would go to the theater and you would hear people yelling things at the screen like every time they would say brad you'd go asshole you know and uh there there's just there were like so many little things that you you um yell out you know when the criminologist the narrator has some of his lines uh like or like when the time warp you know line riffraff's like um i've got to lose control and everyone would yell smoke a bowl and like there was just like big sort of eruptions of things uh but then i learned like i said from listening to the participate patient recording but then things would change in like local theaters like depending where you were and uh who was you know with whatever cast uh new traditions would emerge. And so sometimes like I would go to a theater and I would yell something that I learned from this album that was really a timepiece and no one else would be yelling it because it was no longer like that wasn't what was done at that theater and some someone else would yell something else. And uh, I haven't been to a live show in decades now, but I often wonder like what things still, you know, catch on. Like, for example, uh, well, I guess we'll talk to it as we go through the movie. But like, I, I remember like certain things from different places that different parts of the movie that were so iconic. Yeah. And it's, and it's so iconic that like, again, me not having been to one of those live screenings, I still know what some of those things are. Like, yeah. it's just, it's it, like, you can feel it in this movie and it's unique to this movie. I can't think of any other movie that has anything like this as part of the, exp- in, like intended experience, because like I watch it, you know, uh, here at home and it's a good time. I enjoyed it, but I knew it, it like instinctively, like I'm getting like 20% of the intended experience. Oh yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's, there's like throwing toilet paper, throwing toast, spraying water, like yelling things, uh, holding up lighters, putting a newspaper over your head in the rain. I mean, there's just like so many s- sort of like prop and gag things. Plus the people running around in the aisles performing the show in front of you. So Didn't yeah, it's so immersive. And, and I'm trying to remember, did, didn't you ever do that yourself? Some of the, the live performing? No, I wish okay. that I had, I really wanted to, you know, um, but no, I've never been a part of a live show in front of the theater or on stage. Uh, I mean, it's still a possibility. It could happen. Okay. It's plenty of time. Yeah. It's, it's still showing at midnight somewhere. I guess. Exactly. Um, so let's get into it. Let's get in the movie. Um, because this is, uh, it's fun to watch because like, it like straight up makes no sense. And that's yeah. so far from the point that it, like, cause I was watching it going like, okay, wait, why is he doing this? Why is this happening? And it is, and it's, I quickly sussed out like, I should not be caring about it. these are the wrong questions to ask. <laughs> well, I think it's important to know that it like the whole premise was based off of these like pulp sci-fi movies from the fifties that already kind of didn't make sense. So in an effort to kind of be like the original stage show was a parody of this, these other like sci-fi pulp classics. Uh, so it was already mocking something. And then it was, and so it was self-aware from the beginning. And then it became like doubly self-aware when you added the participation to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we could talk about the opening of the movie. That's a good segue because the first thing we get is this uh, version of the 20th century Fox logo, but there's like yep. rock and roll guitars behind it, which I am like always in the pocket for like someone taking the studio logo and changing it up somehow specific yeah. to the movie. I don't know why that gets me every time, but I'm like, ooh, they did something with the logo. Totally. It starts from the beginning. Uh, and then we get science fiction, the opening number. 
Uh huh. Science fiction double feature with those iconic red lips. Michael Rainey was there the day the earth stood still, but he told us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong for Fay Ray and King Kong. They got caught in a cellular jam. Then at a deadly pace, it came from outer space. And this is how the message ran. Which are magentas, with yep. riffraff singing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this song, like as you just mentioned, it name checks all of these classic sci-fi movies, like The Day the Earth Stood Still and Forbidden Planet, like all of this stuff. Forbidden Planet, which incidentally was produced by my great great uncle Nicholas Nafak, my Hollywood legacy claim to fame. Goddamn nepotism, baby! I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a great movie, by the way. You should be very proud of that. That's a that is a true classic. If true classic. Hasn't seen it? I will hang on to that for a future episode because uh, yeah, Forbidden Planet is pretty rad. Um, but like, what's interesting is a lot of the things that name checks are you know more considered classics and less. There's some of it though is like the like B tier, you know, like giant ants type movies from the fifties, right. and like this has so I, I kind of miss that tier of sci-fi movie it doesn't really exist anymore we sort of have things like sharknado which are like trying to be that but they're so like they're so trying to do it it's it, there's something yeah, they still the have like big budgets and crazy effects that the point was like you could see the strings pulling the models you know of these original ones they were so bad and they were also like i mean not all of them but trying to find ways to be like sexy sci-fi low budge you know Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you bring in, you know, Elvira type right. characters and stuff. And it's like, hey, look, cleavage. It's the 1950s. Yeah. Night call nurses from outer space, things like that. Yep. Uh, all of that stuff. And so, like, you can feel that's in the DNA of this movie on purpose. Like, they're, they yeah. are trying to create something like that. Uh, and so we go to their uh, this wedding at a church where uh, the Ralph and Betty are getting married and they're running off. And this is like the, one of the first audience participation things that I could think of. of like, I know what this is because you throw rice at the screen as they yep. get married. Yep. As they come out of the church, you throw rice at the screen. I also have in my notes, there's this uh, photographer who comes up and takes a picture and the guy like looks like Eugene Levy, but not really. Oh, that's and, funny. and like, he felt like there's a couple of like, background extras basically in this part of the movie that seems so conspicuous i kept waiting for them to show up again and they never did like there's the a lot of them are are time warp dancers they a lot of the people that are at the at the wedding are time warp dancers just in like totally other costumes and stuff yeah i'm sure they reused actors and stuff for that you know as part of their ensemble i just was expecting them to be like literal characters that came back um but this is where we meet barry bostwick and susan sarandon uh, way Icons. before they were famous. Yeah. Uh, as Brad and Janet. And, uh, so when, when we meet Brad, we say asshole. And then we meet Janet and we say slut. Both of those things are true. Uh, <laughs> although he is also a slut as we will find out. Yes. Um, yeah, they are like, I, I, they're introduced as like such squares. 
Yes. That it's like, this is perfect. Like they're these absolutely like, you know, uh, I would say fifties, but the movie is, is definitely set. Actually, you can tell exactly like the date of the movie because Nixon's resigning on the radio. Nixon, right. Yeah. So, you know, exactly when it is, um, you know, like you do, you just listen to Nixon resigning. Um, but yeah, I really like damn it, Janet. Hey, Janet. Yes, Brad. I've got something to say. Uh huh. I really love the. Skillful way. You beat the other girls to the bride's bouquet. Deep, but I swam it. Janet. The future is ours, so let's plan it. Janet. So please, don't tell me to can it. Janet. I've one thing to say, and that's damn it. Janet, I love you. The road was long, but I ran it. Janet. There's a fire in my heart, and you fan it. Janet. If there's one fool for you, then I am it. Janet. I've one thing to say, and that's damn it. Janet, I love you. It's just like this music. First of all, that we should mention the music is all written by Richard O'Brien, who plays Riff Raff. It reminded me a lot of Jim Steinman and his songwriting. Hmm. Uh, So he's uh, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy behind um, Odd Connection. But Meatloaf's singing career outside of this movie, of course. Oh, well, that would make sense in some ways. Yeah, uh, we'll get to it. But Meatloaf is in this movie. Um, But like it's this very like throwback 50s kind of sound for a lot of it like maybe half of it are these sort of like almost like four seasons frankie valley type songs and this is one of them yeah i mean i think the movie itself was like commenting on this resistance to a changing culture you know that like was still lingering around by in 1975 i mean there was a sexual revolution happening but there was also still you know a, a whole cultural pushback to that uh, from, you know, like the middle America, especially where the movie takes place. So I, I think that Brad and Janet kind of represent the, the fall of the, of that facade for, for that generation. I think that's a good point that you are coming off of like the late sixties counterculture with this. And it's very much of a piece of that same idea of like, you know, you squares are actually freaks inside just like the rest of us. Exactly. uh, Waiting to come out. And like, literally like we just mentioned, like the American Gothic couple from the beginning, the guy, the guy with the big pitchfork and his wife, like they're behind them doing the backing vocals. Yeah. I mean, that's Richard O'Brien and uh, Magenta. Uh, I can't think of her name right now, but I that's, don't have it in them. front of me either, but yeah. you all have IMDb. You can figure it out. Yes. Um, so Patricia yeah, Quinn. Th- thank you. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, this is a great number. I didn't think you could rhyme so many things with Janet, but they do yep. a great job. Uh, and uh, they're they're off. Uh, but we find out they are going to uh, see Dr. Everett Scott, the science teacher who they met in his class. 
and we get our first visit from the narrator who is uh, I guess he's supposed to be a criminologist you said right it seemed a fairly ordinary night when Brad Majors and his fiancée Janet Weiss two young ordinary healthy kids left Denton that late November evening to visit a Dr. Everett Scott, ex-tutor and now friend to both of them. It's true, there were dark storm clouds, heavy, black and pendulous, toward which they were driving. It's true also that the spare tire they were carrying was badly in need of some air. But uh, they, being normal kids and uh, on a night out, well, they were not going to let a storm spoil the events of their evening. Hmm. On a night out. It was a night out they were going to remember for a very long time. Yes, he's a criminologist and he is studying... Uh, you know, he studied Dr. Frankenfurter uh, and the phenomenon of, of the the castle that we're soon to go to. So Brad Whatever and Janet the hell head out. Is. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah Brad, the spaceship castle. Brad and Janet head out because they decide they're going to get married after seeing their besties get married, and they think they have to go see Dr. Scott, the, the professor who brought them together, for his blessing, basically. And then they ended up getting a flat tire in this rainstorm. And that's where we get the song There's a Light that takes them, you know, to this castle where everything unfolds. Yeah, I love and again like showing their like roots. There's a transition between the end of the damn it Janet number and when they're in the rain. That's like a wipe, but it's like a drippy like yeah, blood wipe. Yeah, it's the pulp the pulp horror wipe. Yeah. Totally. Uh and then yeah, you're right. They're in the rain, they're listening to Nixon. Uh the there's the blowout. They decide, "Hey, I'll go for help at the castle we passed down the road." And there's this uh like they have this debate about whether Janet's going to just hang out at the car. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, I'm going. And one of the lines, well, the, the owner might be a beautiful woman and you'll never come back again. And uh, close, but yeah. not quite. Uh, yeah. 
there's that sign that says enter at your own risk. And I, yeah, I love that the song is like, there's a light over at the Frankenstein place. Like there's something, right. like so yes, quaint exactly. about that lyric. Yep. And this is when you are, if you are in the movie live, you're holding your newspaper over your head like Susan Sarandon is while people spray water bottles and get you wet. And, or you're holding up your uh, cigarette lighter for there's a light. Yeah. And we see like it, briefly, you can see Riff Raff in the window. Looking mm-hmm. at them, that's our first look at him, who's basically, he's he's Igor, he's kind of the, uh, he's a little more in common with, say, the version of Igor from Young Frankenstein than, than yeah. like, true Igor. Um, just really get a fun performance from this guy. He's one of the highlights in the movie, I think. Uh, and, of course, he not surprisingly gives himself some of the best songs, because he wrote them. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, but on their way to the castle, a whole bunch of bikers pass them. Which we'll find out what that's about later, sort of. I mean, again, a lot of plot details kind of missing, but there's bikers about. And, uh, yeah, when um, they get inside, they get to the door, Riff Raff answers, and Brad's like, I wonder if you have a telephone we might use? And then he says, you've arrived on a rather special night. It's one of our master's affairs. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that line. Oh yes, yeah, the voice he uses—it's not his like natural voice, like because you hear him sing later. Well, first of all, you heard him sing science fiction without realizing yeah. it. Um, very different sounding voice he uses for that, and he sings some stuff at the very end of the movie where again, you, very very different sound to his voice. But he spends most of the movie with this voice, which I, I love. Um, and yeah, was it where uh, Magenta comes in? What's the line about we're all lucky? Uh, it's probably some kind of hunting lodge for rich weirdos. This way. Are you having a party? You've arrived on a rather special night. It's one of the master's affairs. Oh, lucky him. You're a lucky. He's lucky. I'm lucky. We're all lucky. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. He's lucky. We're all lucky. Ha ha ha. She's sliding yeah. down a banister with a feather duster. Yeah, this is when like the camp goes into overdrive. Mm-hmm. And it kind of never lets up from this point. Like at first we're like, we're all we're in a horror movie musical. And then it, from from this point onward, it's like we're in a, the fucking craziest horror musical. Like, yeah. let's go, you know, full sequence all the way. Um, and he invites us all to do the time. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll but listen closely not for very much longer I've got to keep control Just a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. With your hands on your hips. You're bringing me to 
dreamy. Yeah, and this is the dance. I mean, the instructions on how to do the dance are in the lyrics themselves. It's just a jump to the Always left, a winner. step to the right. <laughs> Put your hands on your hips and turn your knees in tight. It's pelvic thrust. It'll drive you and say, yay, 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 yay. And let's do the time warp again. And everyone in the theater jumps up and does this dance. And it was done at bar mitzvahs and weddings. And, you know, it really was like a pop culture thing for a long time. If you get the lyrics to how to tell you how to do the dance... You will achieve immortality at <laughs> weddings and proms and bar mitzvahs and stuff. That's right. You can, you can get grandma up to do the time warp. She just has to listen carefully and follow what everyone else is doing. Um, this one kind of gets busted out at Halloween for obvious reasons. Like, it's just, this is probably, it's the song most people know from the movie. It's the most fun. Um, it's like, you know, kind of the monster mash on steroids. That's right. It's totally a monster mash song. Yeah. And it's also when we get to see all those bikers kind of having their own party. So we, we realize that there's this whole wackadoo ensemble in this castle, you know, well, ready well, to get the, their funk on. Yeah, like the, the, the party goers there, like they're they're not Cenobites, but they are weird. You know, there's like a sense of like, oh, none of them are normal. Like they're all, there's something off about all of them. Yeah. Um, and we also like start doing some more fourth wall breaking because the narrator starts telling you how to do the time warp and dancing along. Yes. So like, yeah, we're, it's like, we're all in, like, this is so much fun that I feel like this is like, you have to make this investment in how fun this is to, it it gets you to go along with whatever the fuck else happens in this movie. Like, oh, I get it. This is an amusement park ride now. Right. I'm in. Yeah. And it's also kind of speaks to the way that there's like a spell uh, that Frankenfurter has cast over everyone who comes into his lair and the, even the criminologist kind of get, like you said, gets carried away. We sort of understand later by the time we get to the end of the movie that there is some sort of enchantment, you know, that brings people into the subversive sexuality that Frankenfurter proselytizes. Yeah. And like that sort of embodied, but like when you get to the end of the song, the music kind of goes and everybody just kind of like melts to the floor. Yeah, everyone collapses, and then we start getting the pulsing beat of Frankenfurter's heel on the elevator. How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful hand in hand. He's just a little brought down, because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up! By the way I look, don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Yeah, this movie's paced pretty well and like they they don't waste any time. So like there's almost no time between the end of the time warp and then the next song which is Sweet Transvestite where we finally get Tim our full blast of Tim Curry in, you know, fishnets and like he this is such a singular performance. Uh, this, this is Unreal. a really yeah, this is a real unicorn of a thing because you, you can't imagine anyone else doing it at this point. It's it's so just like intertwined with Tim Curry and it's, it's such a balancing act to be able to sell something this weird 
and to a lot of people, especially then, sexually threatening. Yeah. And and also like literally threatening, like because we know he's violent. Like he's not a good guy. Um and, like he is a villain of the piece. And so like it's this like crazy like amalgam of stuff he has to do. And it's really funny and like, you know, just wealth like there's in a career of like amazing characters from this guy, like, you know, Pennywise the clown, right? You know, like yeah. so many things he's done. Uh, and again, if you stay tuned, we're going to get to Clue and Muppet Treasure Island, like totally different performances, but still like truly Tim Curry in essence. Like, but yeah, this is, but this one is singular. This and yeah. this and this sort of debut. I mean, just the the extreme close ups of his face with those pouty, glossy lips and those crazy eyebrows and all that eyeshadow and and just the reveal when he throws off his sparkly robe to show that he's got the corset on and everything and. Uh, yeah, he's dressed yeah. like Cher from the uh, If I Could Turn Back Time video, right? It, yeah. You know, total like S&M gear. And he just sings this song. Uh, like I, I wrote in my notes, he's, his character is basically like if the noise mm, was a person. Like that's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's, like, he's, he is – this is the most horny performance ever and that includes like the entire internet's worth of porn. Like he is like that. So horny. So, so singularly thirsty. It's, um, it's really, really fun to watch. And the song is cool. Cause like the song is this like bluesy ode to being a transvestite transsexual. That, from like, Transylvania, like from a, another planet of, you know, genderqueer rebels. Yeah. We don't know that yet. Like it, he's right. When he says he's from transsexual Transylvania, it's literally like from transsexual comma, Transylvania as if he was from like from Portland comma Oregon is like what right. he's saying. Um, we don't know that yet. And man, there's just what a coincidence that, you know, the first letters of the traditional home for vampire happen to be T-R-A-N-S because that's like half the puns in the movie. They really like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, the song itself is just a powerhouse of a performance. And then the mic drop of just like, and I'm going up the elevator and I'm off. <laughs> yeah, but also he um so before the iconic anticipation oh, yeah, uh, he says that. I've created a man with blonde hair and a tan and he's good for relieving my tension, sexual tension. So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> but not the symptom. And this is where we realize that Frankenfurter is like a Frankenstein character, that he's actually created a being we learn later that he intends to bring to life to be his fuck buddy to be his and, fuck buddy. And what's hilarious is sort of like, that's a lot of effort that he doesn't need because as we'll see, like he completely seduces Brad and Janet in like 10 minutes flat. Like he doesn't have to make a person. He's pretty good at this already. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, amazing. Just like, yeah. And that anticipation line, like, because Yes, it's really fun for everybody to scream, say it, say it in, in the middle of that. But when they're filming it, like when they're writing the song, they don't know that that's going to happen. It's this crazy choice of like, hey, 
what if I just take this enormous pause right now? Yeah. For like to show my power, basically. Right. Uh, and then we get, and then we get, you know, yeah. Uh, he sort of zooms away in the elevator and, uh, they strip down Brad and Janet for no they strip down Brad and Janet. Yeah. Just no, because they have to be in their, on their undies in these robes because they, they certainly can't wear their wet square clothes to this, you know, extravagant unveiling of the, Frankenstein sex toy. Right, right. So the, it's just, it, it's so funny. Like, they don't put them in normal clothes. It's really like, we're just going to strip you down to your underwear. And Brad just keeps going like, can I just, can I just use your phone? <laughs> like, yeah. Dad's just like, no, they, they're not using a phone, Brad. You're in trouble now. Um, so we go up to the lab where we're going to spend a lot of time. I love the the look of this set because the, the set where the time warp takes place is kind of, you know, more classic haunted mansion stuff. This looks like is like something out of Willy Wonka. The way absolutely, it's like Mike TV lair. Yeah, yeah, I thought that too, but just like bright red. Yeah, and then this this uh, bizarre contraption comes down with a bunch of like food coloring, and he like you know gleefully squirts all these colors of fluid into this giant tank where 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 we bring Rocky to life. Yeah, and before we meet Rocky, he's dre- like again kind of name checking or horror things. He looks like a mummy or the Invisible Man, like he's wrapped yeah. up in gauze so you can't see him. And this this is the second time we've seen Frankenfurter now, and he's already done a quick change because yeah. he's dressed like I-, I wrote my notes, Mamie Eisenhower. Like it's a very like fifties look. Yeah, the, the pearls wearing. and and this green sort of hospital gown dress. Yeah, it's like halfway between a hospital gown and like. You know, yeah, like a ja- something Jackie O would wear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, it's this very odd uh, outfit. Uh, he, he talks about yes, they, they've, he's made a biomechanical research, and then as he starts kind of getting more manic about, you know, we're we're basically doing the classic Frankenstein like it's alive like sequence, and yeah, the, he's not just like putting the like uh, rainbow colors of goo into the tank. He's like slapping at the like valves yes. in this medic way that makes it clear. Like, does he care how much of this stuff he's putting in? Like, it's just, it's so manic and silly. He's so like kind of just enraptured with what he's about to do. It's just, again, you have to have the time warp and sweet transvestite to get you to the point where you're just like, Oh, okay. This mad is scientist. Be this silly. Yeah. Mad scientist, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like silly. Yeah. And then, uh, we get Rocky. And bursts out. Yeah, he bursts out with this song that, like, frankly, I never really understood. Um, the Sword of Damocles. The Sword of Damocles, uh, which I, I guess is, is that he he knows from the moment he's born that he's just there to be like a sexual servant. I guess yeah, I that guess. metaphor, I don't fully understand the use of that metaphor here, which if people, you know, if you haven't read your Bible, like a good Rocky Horror Picture Show audience member, um, the, the story of a guy with, yeah, literally like a sword dangling over his head by a, a thread and he's, it's a metaphor for like, yeah, one day this thread is going to you know, snap and snap. sword's going to kill me. I have no idea what ha- what it's doing in this well, song. Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, what we what we learn is that 
Frankenfurter has had a previous lover who first he like hid in a freezer and then who still managed to come alive. This is meatloaf, Eddie, and then who he ends up killing and eating and forcing everyone else to eat. So, uh, and I believe half of his Eddie's brain is in is, is, Rocky's head. Yes. Half of Eddie's brain is in Rocky's supposedly. So maybe that's like this Rocky already has this awareness of his mortality and his fate. Uh, also I really, don't believe that that's the guy singing. It doesn't, I just don't believe that that voice is coming out of that man. But I I can't be, I don't know. It doesn't look like it's working. Yeah, it's hard to know. Sometimes 70s filmmaking with the way they sound engineer stuff. Yeah, and pre-recorded and played back and lip sync. It can look odd. Um, I I love this. uh, He slaps him around. That's no way way to behave on a first day out. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then who's it? uh, Is it Janet says, I don't like men with too many muscles. And he just snaps back. I didn't make him for you. (laughs) And everyone screams just one big one when she says, I don't like men with too many muscles in the (laughs) audience. Just one big one. Solid joke. And, yeah, and then he, and then he sings. Frankenfurter sings. In just seven days, I can make you a man. He'll eat nutritious, high protein, and swallow raw eggs. Try to build up his shoulders, his chest, arms, and legs. Such an effort. If he only knew of my plan. In just seven days, I can make you. He'll do press-ups and chin-ups Do the smirch, clean and jerk He thinks dynamic tension Must be hard work Such strenuous living I just don't understand When in just seven days Oh, baby, I can make you a man right and i i was kind of thinking oh okay so now we have like this like seven day clock like we're gonna see like him you know i don't know pygmalion this guy or in some way but no that's not what we're doing it's just it's a cool song though i love that as he's singing this the song starts to get more manic as we get this like pepe Le Pew moment where rocky is kind of running around to try to get away from him Meanwhile, you've got all of the like gifts in the room, so that Frankenfurter has like gotten him. There's like a candy cane looking set of dumbbells. Yeah, there's like a pommel a sawhorse. horse. Yeah, 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 yeah. A pommel horse. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, and there's a lot of name checks here to uh, Charles Atlas, both here and in another song. This idea of like he talks about like oh like the the weakling gets you know sand kicked in his face, which is this very old. Uh, this guy Charles Atlas was you know big kind of bodybuilder and he was trying to sell you on his, you know, exercise regimens and stuff. And the classic ad was always this like, you know, skinny nerd, like up to his neck in sand, having like a bully, like kick sand in his face. But then he goes and gets swole. Right. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. That's when Eddie bursts out, right. It kind of interrupts the the song. Yeah. He bursts in and then like we get his song, which is hot patootie.
Yeah, it's Meatloaf time. Uh, this song, yeah, sounds a lot like the stuff Meatloaf would later do in his you know, big singing career. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a classic Meatloaf tune in a lot of ways. And and then we realized that Columbia, who's played by Little Nell, it, it was like Eddie's true love or or real crush or something. She's she she's one of it. the uh, like house servants who's there with Riff Raff and Magenta. She's a tap dancer in a cute little gold uh, tux jacket. And she's the one with a high pitched voice. The high pitched voice, and she's super excited to see Eddie. Uh, but then Eddie kind of ruins the party by breaking out of his icebox on a motorcycle and Frankenfurter ends up killing him with an ice pick in front yeah. of everybody. In front of everybody. And like I was surprised. I knew Meatloaf was in the movie. I didn't realize he would be out of it that quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I was kind of wondered like, you know, th- he ended up being such kind of a, a conservative guy. And I was wondering like, did, you know, what did he th- ever think about his past doing this movie was it you know was it a thing he still was like proud of or like it's it's such a weird turn like i feel that way about i mean like i really wonder what all these people felt because no again no one knew i mean it was such a low budget b film no one knew it was going to become this cult classic that i mean right now barry bostwick as we're recording this is on tour with a 50 anniversary production of it that's like they're showing the movie in all these huge theaters around the country with the live cast and barry bostwick is I don't know if he's playing the criminologist or if he's just, you know, introducing it, but he's touring with the film right now in the, all October. Yeah, I got the impression he was real, you know, he was real proud of it and thought it was special. Um, and, you know, I had, I wanted to go. I didn't get a chance to research and like, oh, where's like an interview with Susan Sarandon or something where she, you know, reminisces about this or Tim Curry. I, I didn't get a chance to look at that stuff, but I, I was would I would imagine those two would be, yeah, real, real, you know, just proud of this thing. Uh, but you're right. Like, yeah, no way you would know from watching this that like Susan Sarandon would go on to get nominated for an Oscar or when did she? Win? I can't remember if she won or not, but she was definitely nominated. Yeah, um, for playing a nun in some movie about the death penalty with Sean Penn, as I recall. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, uh, so yeah, the narrator comes back to tell us that uh, you know everyone was real uh, upset, uh, you know, but and apprehensive. Um, Oh, we get this. I'm sorry. Before we even get to that, we get this reprise of I Can Make You a Man where he leads Rocky off into this like bed chamber and the doors close in this. uh, Yeah. More rice, more wedding time. Uh, And now we're in Janet's. uh, They they lead Janet to her like red room where Riff and Columbia are watching on on security. And it's all in silhouette. So we think Brad has just come into the room, but it's actually Frankenfurter there to seduce her which he does handily yeah these two scenes these back-to-back scenes of frankenfurter seducing janet and then later brad on the same set with different backlighting uh are the scenes that i'm like does this hold up like in in a current understanding of consent like not really you know uh it's it's a bizarre thing where Frankenfurter comes in pretending to be the the other person's lover and then gets discovered, but then is like, but isn't it nice? Didn't it feel good? And uh, ultimately, you know, gets carried away with both of them sexually. And uh, yeah. And meanwhile, Magenta and Columbia are watching on the security footage with popcorn, like enjoying it. And they do this with where, you know, he comes in pretending to be Brad and then Janet and they just have their those actors' voices for a while. And then yep. pop he pops out the wig. What I do love is that the scenes have 
they start off with the identical dialogue. Yeah. Which is very that that's very like sketch comedy to me. Like I really like that. Absolutely. Uh, uh and then uh yeah, she's Janice is something like, I was saving myself, promise you won't tell Brad. Like you know, again, super square, right? I was saving I was saving myself for marriage, but now that I've met this transvestite alien, let's go. You know, she, she yeah, I think again so it's quick. it's pointing to that the secret freak in all in all of us in the secret freak in Square America. You know, I think that's really what it we're we're seeing is the is the breakdown, you know, of those defenses. Uh, and I mean, later on, Frank will say, you know, give yourself over to absolute pleasure, swim the warm waters of sins of the flesh, and that's that's his whole thing. You know, it's just hedonism. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so we get the scene where Riff uh, approaches Rocky, who was asleep, and then wakes him up with a candelabra, and he runs down the elevator shaft. And then we get this quick moment between Riff and Columbia, where they, they are uh, not Columbia, uh, Magenta, where they do this elbow hand sex. Just, elbow sex. Elbow yeah, I don't know what else to call this. They literally chant elbow sex, elbow sex. Yeah, I don't know. It's this bizarre choreography where they just like bring their hands and forearms together and rub up their elbows and then back down again. And it's their little like dance of love. Yeah, it's it's like they're in their culture. This is a handshake is kind of what I gather from this. Something uh, like that. They they claim to be brother and sister. I was reminded of the, the Simpsons Halloween bit with Kang and Kodos like, where, where they're holding hands and they say something, we're just exchanging long protein strains. How do you do uh, it? Right. <laughs> you know, there's something to that, like, cause as we'll find out later, they're aliens. Um, and so like this, they do this gesture a few times before they, that reveal at the, towards the end of the movie. So they start layering in though, every once in a while, like they'll say something about aliens and you'll kind of go like, wait, what? Like they kind of blow past it real quick. So they don't let you linger yeah. on it for too long. You also uh, don't really know why they're harassing Rocky, but ultimately we, you know, we learn that they're trying to destabilize Frank and and bring the whole empire down. Yeah, they're not they're not on board with the let's create a a, a Rocky mission. Um, right. This is one of those like plot things where I was like, okay, wait, what are they actually there on Earth to do? Why, you know, what some of that's kind of stuff where it's like the the like logistics side of things and which was the stuff i had to just like i don't know who gives a shit yeah you just um, let it go yeah um so yeah so then um we get yeah we, this is the scene now with brad's room with the same thing oh, oh brad darling there's no good here it'll destroy us don't worry janet we'll be away from here in the morning oh brad you're so strong and protective you <laughs> mm. <laughs> 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 I'm afraid so, Brad. But isn't it nice? Why, you? What have you done with Janet? Uh, nothing. Why, do you think I should? You tricked me. I wouldn't have. I've never, never, never. Yes, I know. But it isn't all bad, is it? Not even half bad. I think you really can't avoid it. Oh, oh. So, so, no. Stop, so, stop, so, Oh, Janet. Oh. Janet! Shh! Janet's probably asleep by now. Do you want her to see you like this? This? Like how? It's your fault. You're to blame. I thought it was the real thing. Oh, come on, Brad. Admit it. You liked it, didn't you? Doesn't it crime in giving yourself over to pleasure? Brad, you've wasted so much time already. Janet needn't know. I won't tell her. Well, you promise you won't tell. Mm. On my mother's grave. Master, 
Rocky has broken his chains and vanished. The new playmate is loose and somewhere in the castle grounds. Magenta has just released the dogs. Come in! Riff interrupts the seduction of Brad, though, and tells Frankenfurter that Rocky has escaped, and Magenta has released the dogs. Yes, the hounds. You have to release the hounds. Um, <laughs> if you have a creepy mansion, there are hounds to be released. That is uh, that is always a given. Um, so yeah, Rocky's running around in the rain. Janet is crying about Brad um, with these giant fake tears, which are awesome. Uh, and then she sees Brad and Frank on the monitor getting freaky. Yeah, and that's like her uh, her license down to do what she wants because she finds Rocky. Uh, he, she rips her nightie to show even more of uh, Susan Sarandon's nubile body to where we get to uh, touch a touch a touch. Then if anything grows, <laughs> while you pose, I'll oil you up and drop you down. And that's just one small fraction of the main attraction. Which is a, a, an incredible song, a total classic. It's this like sexual liberation anthem. She has just given herself up to Frank. She's seen that her fiance is also, you know, getting with Frank. So she sort of gets hornier and hornier as she rips her slip apart to make these bandages for Rocky, who's like hiding out in his tank. And yeah, she like puts his hands on her body and just sings, you know, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty. I want to feel dirty. And meanwhile, Columbia, Magenta and, and Riff are all singing along, you know, watching it as well. Like mockingly. Mockingly. Of. Yeah, because they're like, oh, look at this little thing thinking that she's found her her freedom. Yeah. And again, the music here is, you know, again, very kind of 50s you know, uh, Dion and the Belmont kind of sound, yeah. you know, that, um, I think they deliberately give anytime Brad and Janet kind of have a song that's going to be this motif. Cause that fits them, uh, more so than like the, you know, Frank will get the, the bluesy stuff, the rocks riff gets more of the rock stuff. Um, they kind of, there's actually yeah. a beautiful song that was cut from the film in this scene. It was in the show uh, called once in a while. Don't cry Like there's no tomorrow After the night There's a brand new day And there'll be no 
that Brad sings after he's slept with Frankenfurter. And it's, uh, and there, it's still, you can still get the recording of Barry Bostwick doing it. They just cut it from the film, but it's sort of like the post coital remorse song. And mm. it's a, it's like a beautiful little ballad. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I think if you get like the, again, if you get like the DVD with B- BTS, you can see it, but uh, other than that, it's just the audio recording. I'll wager it's on YouTube somewhere. Oh, I'm sure by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Frank whips Riff and Riff lies about what happened. Uh, uh, but this is interrupted by a visit from Dr. Everett Scott. Dr. Everett Scott, who arrives in his motorized wheelchair. And we don't I don't think we really understand uh, yet why he's there. But we learn that. Eddie, the lover of Frankenfurter that Frank just killed with an ice pick and like split his brain between Rocky, is Dr. Scott's nephew. Right. And also that he is investigating for on behalf of the government, this alien invasion. Yes. So that's what he's doing there. Um, Frank uses like this electromagnet to basically yank his wheelchair through the entire house up into the lab. To like this weird sitar music, which is really funny. Like he busts through a wall, uh, and then we have uh, everybody saying each other's names to each other for a while. Janet, Doctor Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky, uh, three times. Janet, Doctor Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocker. Janet, Doctor Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocker. Janet, Doctor Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocker. This feels like it's out of airplane. Like this is like we're truly in you know spoof mode for this. This is fun for sure, for sure. Uh, and then it's uh, meatloaf for dinner, literally, literally. But we don't know that at first. We're well, all sitting. Like on- a, they're they're at a dinner and they drop like a big turkey on the table. Like it's yes, like, you know, and he carves it. Yeah, with this motorized electric knife. Yeah, and then they say like you know, uh, Doctor Scott's looking for his nephew Eddie and. Uh, Columbus seems Eddie, and then uh, Frankfurter says, "What a rather tender subject!" As he's mm. eating the meat. Yeah, and uh, they're they're mostly eating in silence. Like this is your classic like awkward dinner scene, filtered through the lens of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, they sing "Happy Birthday" to Rocky, <laughs> and they sing mm. the Eddie song. You know, uh, when we're looking for him, like understanding that there was like a mystery of where he went. When Eddie said he didn't love his teddy, you knew he was a no good kid. And when he threatened your life with a switchblade knife, what a guy makes you cry. Oont, I did. From the day he was born, he was troubled. He was disowned. In his mother's side She tried in vain But he never caused her nothing but shame He left 
home the day she died. From the day she was born, oh, he wanted this rock and roll born on the motorbike, shooting up junk. He was a low-down, cheap little pup. Yeah, Everett Scott like uh, has a German accent. Like, they're going for like a Doctor Strange love thing with Absolutely. him, sort of. Although he's he is not manic and evil, he's very kind of straight laced with a, a German accent. Uh, but yes, then we they yank, Frank yanks off the tablecloth to reveal a gruesome massacred Eddie in a coffin in a, under the table, under the table, glass top coffin with you know organs displayed and. Uh, very poorly executed, uh, practical effect, I think, but still gory in a, in a, in a sort of charming way. This has got like some Dario Argento feel <laughs> to it, you know, like Suspiria kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, for it's, sure. It's more about like being colorful and evoking the idea of horror than yeah. doing a convincing corpse. That's right. Uh, but everybody screams and starts running all over the place. And this is where I believe we get Planet Schmanet Jam. I tell you once, I'll tell you twice. You better wise up, Janet Weiss. Your apple pie don't taste too nice. You better wise up, Janet Weiss. The seed, it should be all you need. You're essential as a pencil. Wound up like an E or first string when we made it. Did you hear a bell ring? You got a block? We'll take my advice. You better wise up. The transducer will seduce you. My feet! I can't move my feet! My wheels! I got a careful by wheels. Yeah, which, uh, so this is, we go back to that electromagnetic thing that Frankenfurter has invented, and he's somehow able to, in the, one by one, freeze all these people in place and then turn them into statues. It's like the Medusa uh, device or something. Yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah, exactly. There's like this handle, and he throws this handle, and it one by one freezes each of them in place. And, and then as yeah. he's continuing this, we also, this is part of the wise up Janet Weiss stuff. Yeah. He's chasing her around, which is, again, this is like a more, a little more of a fifties number, a lot of like kind of you know, saxophone to it. And like, it, it's just kind of, it's just one, again, one of the really fun songs, like they're, he's going to menace this lady, but you're never too scared. Cause it's just a lot of like, you know, he's being so playful about it. Right. Well, it's the cat and mouse that he loves. I mean, that's his whole thing is the the thrill of the chase. Yeah, no, clearly he's turned on by this uh, as he's turned on by everything. I mean, he's, you know, he, he like I imagine this guy like, you know, climax is brushing his teeth. You know, he's just that kind of guy. What's interesting is that you also see Riff Raff and Magenta kind of getting off on it, too. Like they're get, they, every time they freeze someone, they get kind of more excited to pull the lever, uh, yeah. which is weird because. You know, it's we're only moments away from them turning on Frank. So, you know, they're playing along 
uh, and seeming to really enjoy themselves. Yeah. They also mentioned Frank invented a teleporter. Uh, so he's got, he's got lots of inventions. Um, uh, and so there's something about being ready for the floor show. The he, floor warp, show. He, he warps all of these people. He turns them to stone and warps them to some other part of the castle. Uh, and where get, they've been dressed. Yeah. So these, they, they, when they freeze in their statues, they're suddenly nude. And then when like Greek we, statues, they're not just Greek like statues. Like, yeah. Greek statues. Yeah. And then, and then they're whisked away to the theater at the, at the castle where they're on stage in Frank style drag. They all have their corsets and fishnets and boas and, and fantastic makeup. It's still at this point made of stone until they are unfrozen. For Rose Tint My World. It was great when it all began. I was a regular Frankie fan. But it was over when he had the plan. To start a working out of my soul, man. Now the only thing that gives me hope is my love of a certain dog. Rose Tint My World. Yeah, he's demeducing them. They're singing, and they are now fully converted to fully. Frank's they're music. like absolutely. They have come to Frank's side of libertine sexuality, and they are ready to have an orgy in a swimming pool. Correct, and now, but not before to- Frank sings the ultimate power ballad. Yeah, this is "Don't Dream It," um, which you mentioned before. Um, and it's the thesis of the movie. Yeah. Whatever happened to Fairy? That delicate satin draped frame as it clung to her thigh. How I started to cry. Cause I wanted to be dressed just the same Give yourself over to absolute pleasure Swim the warm waters of sins of the flesh Erotic nightmares beyond any measure Sensual daydreams to treasure forever. Can't you just see? Don't 
yeah, you know, whatever happened to Faye Ray. Like, it's, uh, there's this, Im- this image that Frank has of a, of a sexually empowered, you know, gorgeous woman that he once saw on the silver screen that he wanted to become and that he feels like everyone should have the right to be. Yeah, I, I mean, it's bigger than even that. Like the the notion here is that like like you can boil it down to something simple, like let your freak flag fly. But that's kind of almost too simplistic. But it is very, it's so optimistic. You know what he's saying yeah. about there's something about like you know, um, in the context of the movie, he's talking about like yeah, I want to make my fuck buddy monster and leave me alone so I can do it. Um, that's his dream. But he's speaking to this larger audience of people going like, yeah, it's okay to be who you are. And there's this huge, this this empty theater in Frank's mind is suddenly full from all, of all those, you know, freaks and weirdos from Time Warp. And there's like gi- giving him this beautiful standing ovation as he, he sings this, you know, this homecoming anthem, welcoming everyone to be their true selves. But then he looks around and he's just in an empty theater. Well, yeah. And we skipped one thing that happens in there, which is when all of a sudden, uh, Riff and Magenta burst into the room and now they're in like full, like sci-fi gear. The best like, costumes. The best the costumes. Best costumes. Uh, uh, Riff Raff's Igor hump is gone. He's standing yeah, upright. He's standing what upright hump? and he has like a sort of pitchfork laser gun. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it, like a big trident. Yeah. Uh, and they, she's kind of Bride of Frankenstein-y looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this is like they're literally like gold st- spacesuits that look like something out of like Flash Gordon. Um, yeah. That's what they're wearing. And yeah, they're and now, this is where they yeah. turn on him and they say, you know, say goodbye to all of this and hello to Oblivion. Yeah, this is where they turn on him. And again, a little bit of like, why are they turning on him? Like, what I gathered is like, I think the murder of Eddie was like a bridge too far. Um, not entirely sure why they seem just as evil as Frank is, and I don't know why they would care about humans. But th- somehow yeah, but he's they crossed also the line. Like, yeah, they're, they're and they're there to to bring him back to Transylvania. That he's somehow cro- like there's some sort of like interplanetary code of conduct that he's violated. And <laughs> yes, he he broke Star Trek's prime directive. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> pretty hard. Um, <laughs> but like the this is where they mention. Okay, transsexual Transylvania. It's like the planet of transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. Yes. Uh, which is great. Like it's, it's such a like, you know, no, we're not going to come up with a weird, you know, like, you know, Rigel 7. Like, no, it's just the planet is transsexual. Like it's a whole planet of, of people like Frank, uh, which, you know, I would just, just give me like just two minutes of a shot just to see what I know like. would be so great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're they're there to drag him back to their home planet in chains, uh, which he will not go. On the day I went away Goodbye. was all I had to say. No, I, I. I want to come again and stay. Smile, and that will mean I'm there. Cause I've seen, oh, 
going Climbs up, the, like the set is the giant, uh, it's like a cardboard version of the RKO logo, which is this big like radio tower on top of a planet Earth. Um, again, classic old movie studio stuff. So he, he climbs, uh, but is blasted with the laser and uh, dies. Falls into the pool. Falls into the orgy pool. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I believe this is where uh, Columbia runs out she's horrified they kill her too yeah uh and then uh rocky also like makes one last attempt but like they don't shoot rocky like he just climbs up to the top of the fountain or the the tower king kong style and just falls to his death yeah yeah i think it's like we feel sorry for him you know because he's loves his creator who was abusive to him but you know we we have sympathy right uh and then Basically, Riffin or uh, Magenta say, "Hey, you, you you can't you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because we're we're heading back to our home planet." Which they do. They they leave the castle, which takes off into the sky. The castle becomes this spaceship, yeah, and leaving Brad, Janet, and Doctor Scott laying in their lingerie on the earth on the ground. And our narrator tells us, and crawling. On the planet's face, some insects called the human race. Lost in time, lost in space, and meaning. He walks out, and we get uh, a reprise of science fiction double feature and that's the end of the movie wild wild illogical <laughs> well yes highly illogical mr spock um but like the whole thing just is this it, it's a fever dream but it leaves you feeling so good even though it ends on such a kind of a downbeat note um it's this like it, it almost felt like oh does this need like one more kick line or something to kind of send it off but you know, it's still a, it's still trying to be a horror movie in some ways. So like, I can see having the tragic ending because throughout the movie, we've seen this criminologist and he keeps talking about like, you see like police reports about the incident. So, you know, it didn't end entirely well. Yeah. And also, I mean, aside from several people having died, you know, Brad and Janet will never be the same. And I think that's like really the 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 crux of the film is that these these two people have been forever transformed by their naivete you know by virtue of going on this going on this journey knocking on this door being brought into this seductive household uh and they you know that you can never put that genie back in a bottle you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And I think this movie as a whole is, you know, again, such a unique singular thing. Like it's lightning in a bottle because you can't replicate this. There was a sequel called shock treatment, which I know has its fans. I've never seen it, but I know it's generally regarded as I love lesser. it. It's, it's lesser, but I will say it was prophetic in its, in the ways that it, uh, you know, calls out 
the the phenomenon of reality television. It's really, really wild. They basically turned Denton, USA, the town where Brad and Janet are from, into a TV studio. And the whole place, like the whole show takes place in a TV studio where um, like everything is run by an, an ad executive. It's very, very strange. Music is uh, not as good. There are a couple bangers. Um, Little Nell is in it. Uh, Patricia Quinn and uh, uh, Richard O'Brien are in it. But we do not have, we have a different Brad and Janet. Uh, not Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no no question that that movie would not have the the following that it does have, if not for the original. And you mentioned like the soundtrack, like we've, you know, as by now, as you are listening to this, you've heard clips of, of all of these songs you've been talking about. Um, they are really, really good. Um, I've been listening to the soundtrack a few times this week as in kind of preparation for this. And like, if, if, if the songs weren't as good as they were, I think the movie would not, um, I can't say it wouldn't be a good movie or it wouldn't work, but like all of the fun, like crazy sexual politics of this movie and the, and the kind of things it stands for, like you need this really good soundtrack to get everybody along for this ride. Uh, and they're basically, they're all bangers to a song. Yeah. Every, every song is a hit for sure. Every song is a hit. Yeah. And I can't even think of any other movies that are, I mean, the only other movie that's kind of a cousin to this would be something like Phantom of the Paradise, which is, but it's a different tone. It's, I mean, know. also Little Shop of Horrors, I think, you know, it came several years later. But I mean, I think it's in the same vein because it was a it was like a pastiche musical that was a send up of the, you know, original like pulp horror film. Yeah. And then, you know, incorporated some of these musical elements and had a lot of camp and really became a, a type of cult classic. It did. I mean, and I, I love Little Shop a whole bunch. I think that would make for a great episode. Um, uh, I, I really like that movie. But that movie doesn't challenge its audience the way Right, at all. No, no, you no. Know? Yeah, there's. it's not really subversive. It's just entertaining. Right, right. And that subversive angle, I mean, there are plenty of other movies that are subversive in different ways. But it's hard for me to imagine another movie that is as you know sex challenges people's you know notions of sexual conventions in such a fun package like yeah. it's 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 a real like tightrope act to do this well what's wild too is when i was looking at this you know 2023 tour of rock you horror picture show with barry bostwick playing these like huge theaters and and movie movie houses across the country, you know, they're playing in places where they're passing laws to discriminate against trans people. And yet it's sold out everywhere, you know, in Georgia, in, you know, Ohio, you know, this literally some cognitive dissonance allows for this film to be celebrated and beloved and upheld, you know, as a, as a cultural touchstone while at the same time, you know, allowing for discrimination against the very population that the film aims to celebrate. Yeah. I mean, the film was actually selected for the you know national, what do you call it? Um, Library of Congress registry of uh, like important films. It was selected yeah. to be in there, um, which, you know, tells you something. And I do think I, I definitely see what you're talking about in terms of like, you know, why are audiences in these deep red states showing up? And I think the answer is one, 
there's a lot of Brad and Janets out there with their own freaky stuff that they're not not going to disclose. And two, I think are you know even the most like deep red state is more purple than you think. You know, like oh, when you look, exactly. it's like sure. when you look at like what it comes up, like you think of like the most red state, you know, around you know, like you know Tennessee or whatever, and you look at the vote and it's like it's super red state, fifty five to forty five, right? Dallas That's- Theater Center mm-hmm. is currently doing a production of Rocky Horror Picture Show right now, or Rocky Horror Show, the play, and it's not the first time they've done it. Like they've they had a really successful run of Rocky Horror Show, the musical, uh, a few years back, and it's currently on stage in Dallas. I'm just waiting for Lindsey Graham to get caught at one of these. Like, please, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, and, but I think ultimately that's kind of what the movie is about, is about interrogating that hypocrisy and ideally trying to liberate the people who are oppressed by it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the whole point about the movie saying, you know, again, you know, be who you are, don't dream it, be it is to say like, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. Like, that's the thing. Is it like, the, the 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 quote unquote morally bad things in the movie are like putting an ice pick through a guy's head. That's bad, you know. Right. But just having a bunch of sex and being weird, not bad. You know, that's not, not what not he, so you know, bad. That's, that's not why they're dragging him back to his home planet. You know, yeah, wearing lingerie is kind of okay. Yeah, nobody's getting hurt. Um, and so, I, you know, to me, there's something so like you know, you know, even being the the square cisgender hetero guy I am. Like, it's hard not to just look at this and go like, well, yeah, of course, everybody gets to be who they are. You know, it doesn't matter. And like the the tolerance angle of this, especially when you think about it in 1975. Yeah. You know, like we need it now in 2023, but, you know, even more so then um, to just sort of, you know, like there's something nice about the idea that like people in a red state can go see this movie and see a bunch of people just having a good time to some rocking tunes and go like, oh, okay, it's a bunch of like. You know, fifteen-year-old Jewish theater nerds throwing on makeup. <laughs> well, you know, Fox Fox also did a TV remake a few years ago with Laverne Cox in it. Didn't they? Didn't and they do it for Glee? It was an episode of Glee. They, yeah, for, yes, first they did. They had a they had an episode on Glee where they changed some things, but they did it in the high school. They did like a production of it or something, and then but they actually did the full Rocky Horror Picture Show made for TV, and it was literally a shot by shot remake. I mean, as it was down to like the shoe floating by in the orgy in the pool. Like they, they captured everything. Oh, and like the psycho was, remake. Yeah. Right. And it was not very good, but it was also on Fox, you know, like just on TV, on network television with Laverne Cox singing. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, which took on a whole new meaning when you had like an actual trans person in the role. Yeah. Yeah. I, I now that you say that I do vaguely remember that being, um, being on, um, and to Disney's credit, who technically owns the rights now, um, through all of those acquisitions, they have been pulling some movies, you know, classic showings of movies. They've been kind of like pulling some of those back, but not this one because they recognize that like, you can't kill the live theater. I mean, that is the show that is the movie at this point is, you know, going to see those live shows is what makes this unique and special. So, credit to them for recognizing that um yeah so um so we're here at the end we've been kind of talking around this already but like what do you think it is that's made this thing last for almost 50 years i mean i think it's it's simply so unique i mean there's a couple things right there's the fact that the music is actually really good there's the fact that there's this built-in now participation so like for everyone who 
wants to let their freak flag fly, there's like a safe place to go do that. And also the sort of intrigue of the midnight movie. I mean, usually these, uh, these interactive shows are like Friday or Saturday night at midnight or 11 PM. So it, it's like, you know, it's certainly not as epic of a cult classic now as it was in the, you know, eighties and nineties. But the fact that it still happens in theaters all across the world, you know, every weekend or every other weekend definitely says that there's a staying power to this, the freedom that it gives people. Yeah. I mean, we're the, the remit of this podcast is to talk about nostalgia, but there is a point at which something surpasses nostalgia and becomes a tradition. Yeah. And there's, this is definitely in that thing where like the, the repetition of people going to the screenings, you know, dozens of times and learning all of the like things you're supposed to do and say along with the movie, like that's not terribly dissimilar from going to a service you know, at, at a temple. No, it church, is ritual. You know? It's absolutely ritual. It's ritual. It's a queer ritual. But, you know, and also the, the part of the ceremony that happens before every live showing is the sort of mockery of the virgins. And they bring people up on stage who are there for the first time and they put a big lipstick V on their foreheads. So there's always this like, induction you know into like the, the the tradition of going if you're a fan you're going regularly but also losing your rocky horror virginity is like a real thing that's still celebrated and what's nice about it is you know there you know for every kid out there who is struggling to figure out their sexual identity you know this movie is there for them and because it's now this tradition it's like cemented in pop culture it's like the the pathway to get from that awkward, you know, not knowing who you are to finding this movie and other people who, you know, can say like, hey, you know, you're one of us. You're OK. You know, um, you know, I think that I at least I would hope that has to be an, an easier path than it was for you in the 90s and certainly going back to the 80s and 70s. Like there's there's something comforting about the fact that like. If, you know, one of my kids comes and tells me, hey, I, you know, I might be gay or I might be trans, I can go like, great, I know something fun we can go do. Let's go. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think that's when I asked that thing about like what holds up and what doesn't, because because back then, you know, sexual uh, expression, especially like alternative sexualities, queer sexualities were still like coupled with danger and violence and, you know, questions of consent and so the one of the things that i i'm I'm like troubled by the movie now even though i still love it but when i see it i'm like you know the ways that the 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 tropes of sexual and gender transgression are sort of embedded in these other you know moral failings is uh you know it's like still it's kind of a bummer because you know it's not like just wizard of oz it's not just colorful and delightful and fun and free it's like well there's going to be murder and there's like you know coercion and there's a little bit of like they're coming to get you yeah yeah also that also that so you know you know when you're at rocky horror that you are representing the rebellious expression of sexuality and gender and that you, there's there's like implicitly then the force the oppressive force that you're pushing against and uh so you know i like i'm so grateful for the ways that it shaped me um and like gave me the courage to be myself and gave me the tools to express myself at a really young age but also you know it showed me 
a one very sort of specific way to express myself that ultimately I would say like, you know, didn't always serve me, you know, as I grew up and, and understood how I internalized some of these messages because it was literally the only example I had until maybe Rent and Hedwig, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is certainly a stepping stone to some of those other works where, you know, thankfully it's not the only game in town. Yeah. Um, but it, obviously a really important one that means a lot to a lot of people. Generations and, of people. Yeah. At this point, generations. Absolutely. And like the, but at the end of the day, like even if you strip out all of the like sexual politics of this stuff, like it's a good time. Right. Yeah. It's a rock and roll, you know, party. And it's like it's a again, I feel like it's a great send off for for Halloween. Like it's, you know, for all of its like, you know, uh, adult stuff. It, it's still a lot of, you know, it takes on the form of spooky, scary skeletons and stuff, too. It's spooky, scary, and it's carnivalesque. You know, yeah. it, it turns the world on its head. And that's what Halloween is like really about. You know, aside from the spooky, scary, it's the moment where we get to subvert all our expectations of how to behave. And that's the trick or treat of it. I can't think of a better way to, to leave it than that. So, um, Shakina, if people want to find you and your stuff, where would they find you? Oh, yeah. You? Plug, plug well, I'm. Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram as Shakines, uh, less or so the other social medias, but Shakines everywhere. And my website is justshakina.com, literally just Shakina, both words, dot com. Oh, okay. So it's J-U-S-T, Shakina, so people can find it. <laughs> That's uh, right. Cool. Uh, and of course, please do watch uh, Quantum Leap and uh, go back and watch D- Difficult People if you have that on Hulu uh, and any of your other credits. Again, you all have IMDb so you can find her and see what they are. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, if you have uh, thoughts on our recent slate of Halloween episodes, which include this one, uh, horror board games, before that was Sweeney Todd, uh, then Resident Evil 4 and It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That was our Halloween stuff. Coming up again, assuming everything goes according to plan, should be uh, um, Muppet Treasure Island featuring Tim Curry, followed by Clue with more Tim Curry, and then uh, Batman 89, which I've been like teasing forever, and finally I'll get to release that into the wild. So that's what's coming up next. If you have thoughts on that, uh, you can still find us on the graveyard, formerly known as Twitter, uh, at Nostalgium Pod. We're also at Nostalgium Pod on Blue Sky. And then we're just Nostalgia Arcanum on Threads and Instagram. And I would, again, if you're going to pick any one of those, uh, go for the Instagram follow because that's where I post all the bonus stuff for the show, little reels and extra things. So um, I think that'll just about do it. Um, Shakina, thanks for doing this. this is, I don't get to see you often enough. This was awesome. Yeah, so much fun to catch up with you and like reminisce on the, the you know, old times. Yeah, we'll have to do we'll have to do a whole episode just on our times at Jewish camp because uh, there's that was fun. I don't know who else would listen to it, but it's uh, right some stuff there. All right, so uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Art Camp. Science fiction, double feature. Frank has built it. His creature Darkness has conquered Brad and Janet